is written in the first chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want of us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand, touching the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. There we go. That's better. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And I am still, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the number of candles that would be on a cake if they could scrounge that many up later today at some point. And, and I have to admit, I, I was a bit disappointed that my kids did not get me the Christmas present that they threatened to get me, although they're still this afternoon. Um, but it was a t-shirt that said, four out of three people are bad at math. When I first saw it, I, I didn't get it at first. I had to think about it for a minute. Um, but eventually it came to me, and even those of us who are bad at math understand we just read 25 verses, and I have about 20 minutes uh, to proclaim the Word of God. And so we're going we're gonna to probably not get bogged down in details today, but try to stay at the level of big ideas, which is good because Mark's gospel is an action gospel, and what Mark gives us here is a, a couple of snapshots in succession. It's almost like he took a camera and went click, 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 and gives us some snapshots of the launch of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the question, the intention of these snapshots is really to help us answer the question that was on everybody's mind then, and even on a lot of people's mind now, is who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus? Some said Jesus was the Messiah, and that was a loaded word with all kinds of expectations because many thought that the Messiah was going to come as a fighter to give the Jewish people victory over their enemies, the Romans, and to to kick the Romans out of um, their promised land. Romans who had oppressed them and taxed them unfairly and done lots of other terrible things. But, of course, Jesus always disappoints the expectations that people have of him in some way. And so instead of leading this military coup that many expected, Jesus chooses to go to a local synagogue and teach and pick a fight with a demon that has possessed one of the worshipers there. And I think by doing this, Jesus is very intentional. I think by doing this, he's pointing to the truth that our enemies are not primarily out there. In other words, our real enemies are closer than that. Dare I say that the real enemy is often right here in our midst, even in our worship, and even in us. Now, as he taught from the scriptures, verse 27 of our text says this, the people were all so amazed, just from the words that Jesus spoke. He hasn't actually enacted anything yet, but just from his words. They're so amazed, they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? And then, uh, this this is after, actually this part is actually after he has done some healing, says he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. So news spread about him quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The answer to who is Jesus then? He is the one who has the authority of God. And I know that that word authority is loaded for many of us because we've had authority figures in our lives who have disappointed us in some way or 
who have abused that authority, but that's not Jesus. Because Jesus uses his authority for us and for our good. Now, in terms of his teaching, the the rabbis of Jesus' day were always quoting other teachers, other scholars, making themselves sound very learned and giving their words more weight. And so they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says that. But unlike them, Jesus has authority to speak God's word because he is God's word. Amen? He is God's word. And God's word always does what it says. God's word always accomplishes what it declares. And this is why the people were amazed. Because when Jesus spoke, lives were changed. Lives were transformed and people were set free. No wonder there was amazement. Jesus' ministry then begins with the teaching of the word and with healing. Now, healing doesn't always mean that that the the deliverance or the healing will be immediate in our lives. It doesn't always mean that that the healing will be complete as it was for this demoniac whom Jesus healed in the synagogue. But what it does mean, if you're following along in your outline, is that Jesus has authority over the burdens that you and I carry. Jesus has authority over, over the burdens that we carry. By virtue of his resurrection from the dead, he has authority over whatever is stealing life from you right now and whatever it is that you carried in, that you lugged into this room this morning. For me in this past year, a lot of what I was dragging around was an unhealthy relationship with food that needed to be overcome. My story is very similar to Aaron's. I know Aaron has told the story here. My struggle was with perfectionism and a number of other things. And through all of that, God used a couple of men in my small group that meets on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. You know, I'm tempted sometimes to sleep in. I don't want to miss my small group because these guys have walked through a whole lot with me. They have spoken God's truth and authority into my life. They have helped me to take next steps toward wholeness that I that were, were too difficult or too hard for me to take on my own. And I share all this because, as Brody said, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be encouraging you to find a group like that, the kind of group that has blessed me, the kind of groups that have always blessed my life for the last 30 years. We're going to ask you to find a group like that. Because the truth is that God will often use other people for your healing and vice versa. But be assured that no matter what burden you have brought into this place today, it doesn't have the last word about you. Because Jesus does. In fact, Mark lays out for us in this passage three specific burdens that Jesus lifted from people and that still plague folks today. The first, in verses 21 and 22, he talks about the burden of religion. 
the burden of religion. Jesus begins his ministry in a synagogue where the demands of religion were spelled out in no uncertain terms. Atone for your sin so that you can become acceptable to God. It's about performance and being better and doing more and measuring up. And it's exhausted because it's exhausting because it's all up to you. And how do you know if you've ever really done enough? Unlike the religious teachers of the law, Jesus just told people about God. He just told them who God was and what God was up to and how they could get in on it. And in fact, Jesus loved God and he loved people so completely. He never let anybody off the hook. But he also never failed to offer them forgiveness and the power to change. And he could do this, he had the authority to do this, because he, would, he was on his way to Calvary and to the cross where his sacrifice would do for us what we can't accomplish for ourselves. Jesus has authority over the burden of religion, but also over the burden of evil and the demonic. Now, I realize when I say that phrase in a group of church people, it is a loaded phrase, We all hear it differently. And so I think what I want to do is point out a couple of extremes that we might avoid when it comes to evil and the demonic. Now, the first extreme is that of fanaticism. I mean, judging by television and movies and music, our culture is absolutely obsessed right now with the dark side of the supernatural. Have you noticed this? And and when that obsession comes to church among some of God's people, among some believers. They give the devil way too much credit, attributing to Satan every problem and pain and adversity that comes their way. The devil did it. And the problem with that is that in so doing, they become less likely to take responsibility for the things that they can change or can control. So in terms of evil and the demonic, we have this one, this one extreme that is fanaticism. And then on the other end, and this is probably, in a church like ours, this would probably be more the danger. Because on the other extreme, there's a sort of naivete, right? Uh, to believe that there's a scientific explanation for everything, that if Satan exists, he doesn't really have much influence over this world, and and demons are a myth, and so forth, which flies in the face not only of Scripture, but of thousands of years of Christian experience of believers. What I'd like to argue for this morning is that somewhere in between fanaticism and naivete, there is a third way that I would simply call awareness. Huh? That we should be aware of a spiritual battle that is going on both within us, inside of us, and around us every day. Did you notice, for example, how the demons in this story, in the synagogue at Capernaum, they're all quiet and well-behaved until Jesus shows up on the scene? Did you notice that? They're all quiet and well-behaved since religion has no real authority to change people or set them free. The demons aren't even threatened by it. So they've stuck around, they've hung around right there in church. 
keeping their influence over this poor man and probably over, in some way, the entire community until Jesus shows up. For unlike the people in the crowd, the demons know exactly who Jesus is and exactly what he's about, and it frightens them. Which may mean that the demons had something that has all been lost to God's church today. Namely, a healthy fear of the Lord. I mean, the fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom. I don't mean to say that these uh, demons are wise. There's more to it than that. They're also rebellious. But the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but the end of other fears. A healthy fear of the Lord destroys our fear of other people and what they can do to us. A healthy fear of the Lord destroys our fear of death and crushes our fear of uncertainty. And so the people were amazed, but the demons were fearful, and I'm pretty sure that the two of those things are meant to go together for us. Amazement at such a wonderful Savior, and yet fear of such a holy and righteous God. Do you see both? Or just one? Thirdly, Jesus has the authority to lift the burden of illness. He has authority over the physical realm. And so uh, what I notice is Jesus touches a whole lot of people in these verses, right? I mean, literally, scores and scores and scores of people, almost uh, everyone who was sick in the whole town. Oddly, there are no names given. Did you notice that? Even even Peter's mother-in-law doesn't have a name here. Come on, you even asked the server their name at the restaurant. So what's really going on in this text where no names are given? People are being identified exclusively by what burdens them. They're being identified exclusively by the weight that they're carrying. He's possessed. She's sick. He's a leper. I could go on and on about how we do that even still today. Identifying our identities, how our identities have been consumed by our condition sometimes. It's still true that you can be known more for what is wrong with you or by the circumstances around you than by your identity and your potential in Jesus. People who suffered in that way sought out Jesus in droves. They sought him out because his teaching was not only with words, but with a demonstration of his kingdom's power. And in fact, wherever God's supernatural power and authority are exercised, we see a glimpse of the future. The future that Jesus promised to all who trust in him. In heaven, there won't be any more evil or disease, no more tears or sorrow. And Jesus' message was that in him, this kingdom of heaven had come near. This is what the man with leprosy understood in verse 40 when he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, If you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. 
Because of the way that sin has messed up our world and brought diseases like leprosy, this man had not been able to hug his children for who knows how long. He hadn't been able to to kiss his wife or shop in the market or attend services at the synagogue with his friends. So he invites Jesus to be the authority for his future. Have you done that yet, by the way? Invited Jesus to be the authority for all the decisions you make and how you'll spend your time and where you'll spend your money. Have you done that? This is what this guy does. If you will, Jesus. If you will. And Jesus is so moved and impressed that he does the one thing every, everyone else is afraid to do. He touches the guy. And in so doing, Jesus makes this leper clean. He is healed But in so doing, Jesus himself becomes ritually impure. In Galatians 3.13, we're told that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There is no greater love. And our job as disciples of Jesus, then, is to love people like he did by giving them a glimpse of heaven by bringing a little slice of heaven into this world for them. But how? In verse 35, we see that Jesus depended on prayer. Jesus depended on prayer to deepen his relationship with God and to empower his ministry. In fact, they're they're looking for him all morning the next day, and they can't find him because he's hiding. (laughs) He's hiding. Jesus, and the old adage says that you can't give what you don't have. And because Jesus was giving people a relationship with God, because he was giving them a foretaste of heaven, Jesus is hiding so that he can spend time alone with his Father. He desperately needed that, and so do we. There's no shortcut, though, to spending time with God in prayer. There's no shortcut to praising him for who he is or thanking him for what he's done or confessing to him where we failed. There are no shortcuts to listening more than we speak or asking God to show us yet today where he's at work so that we can join him there, wherever there is. But if you treat prayer simply as a a good deed to be done or another item to check off the to-do list, you will miss both the point and the power. You know, life depletes us. It takes a lot out of us, but prayer fills us back up again. With the presence and character of God, with the fruit of and gifts of his spirit with his wisdom and knowledge and guidance so that like the leper, we can tell everyone what Jesus has done for us. You know, Jesus told him not to tell anybody, right? I kind of shushed people this morning who said happy birthday because I was trying to keep that the secret, but it didn't work. Jesus said, hey, you know, go show yourself to the priest, but don't tell anybody. And this leper does exactly the opposite. In fact, if you notice, the leper ends up back in the city with his family. This outcast winds up back in the community. And Jesus, because now everybody is pressing in on him, is forced to go out and become an outcast outside of town where all the other outcasts come 
in search of him. It's an amazing kind of, it's an amazing kind of thing. But prayer fills us so that we can bring his kingdom to bear, to, into the, the lives of broken people and into this broken world that Jesus loves. As Jesus' disciples, we can look then for opportunities to express compassion. That's what he did, right? Opportunities to express compassion and to release his authority, release his kingdom into the lives of others who are burdened. Because whatever God does for us and to us, he also wants to do through us. Jesus touched the leper and it transformed his life. Who is God leading you to touch this week? Who is God leading you to call on, to encourage, to pray for or with? There are lots of forsaken and forgotten people. People who are carrying unimaginable burdens who need to know that they matter not only to God but to you but God won't coerce you he won't force you it kind of reminds me of this couple who came to the pastor for pre-marriage counseling and the the groom was sort of reading the questions on the form out loud and one of the questions asked um uh are you entering this marriage of your own free will? And so he, he looks over at his fiance and she nods and says, write down yes. <laughs> God wants us to willingly put down yes when he calls us to touch the untouchable or include the outcast or befriend the forsaken because we've been there. Because we are most like him when we do. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that does what it says. And for you, the living word. Thank you for your authority in our lives, in this church, and over the burdens that each of us carry. God, would you let heaven fall on those who are just crushed under the weight of it all this morning? Would you, again, break chains and let your kingdom come among us in power? In this new year, would you give each of us and all of us the compassion of Jesus and let it overflow in acts of mercy for the least, the last, and the lost. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.